This is the Shift Podcast. I'm Martin Strong in for Shane today on the Shift Daily Podcast. Ed Sheeran thinks we don't need music critics anymore. Canadian music broadcaster Eric Alper gives us his thoughts on this and tells us about the role that music critics play in the modern music industry. Is your cell phone bill about to go down? Jerry Wall, CEO of Wall Communications and a veteran of the Canadian telecommunications industry, tells us how the Rogers Shaw deal could could impact telecommunication prices and why they are so expensive in the first place. Are you ready to go camping? Find out in the camping edition of Game Showy Trivia. All of that on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Ed Sheeran, one of the most successful pop stars of the century, Uh, He thinks music critics are irrelevant. He told Rolling Stone that he doesn't understand why people need to read or hear a review of a song uh, or an album when they can just go to Spotify and listen to it. Well, that's fighting words to some people, especially music writers who argue that thoughtful writing about music helps us put things into perspective. But judging by Twitter, a lot of people agree with Ed. They say, why do we need someone to tell us if it's good or not when we can go online and make up our own minds? Uh, We recently got a text when I uh, mentioned this before, and uh, someone wrote, it's true that you don't need anything to know that you enjoy a song or an artist, but getting perspective and context on a piece of art can help you to understand and appreciate it better. When I go to the art gallery, I know immediately which paintings I like aesthetically, but when I take the guided tour and they explain the context of the piece, I might not have cared for. I can appreciate it better even if I still wouldn't hang it on my wall. So an interesting point about this topic. And now we have someone who I'm sure has some valuable insight into this debate. Eric Alper is with us. As a publicist, he has worked with the biggest and most important artists of our time. Uh, Way too many to mention, like a page-long list, all the way from Ringo Starr to MF Doom and everybody in between. He's publicized them all. But he's also an encyclopedia of music and his social media is always entertaining. Uh, he's that Eric Alper on Twitter, and his website is thatericalper.com. Good go-to site for all things music. And he's here now. Hi, Eric. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. How are you? Oh, very, very well. And uh, there's nothing I like more than talking about music, and especially talking about music with you, Eric. And uh, this is an interesting topic to me because... I feel kind of strongly about this. I've always really loved reading about music. And and I don't know, do you consider yourself a music critic? No, I'm more of a music enthusiast because I would never talk about anybody negative on social media only because of my job as a publicist. You never know when the next job is going to be coming from. Um, But growing up, though, I think in the last 35, 40 years, I probably read a lot more about music and the artists 
and the cultural times than actually listen to it. I think that's not a surprise. I think for a lot of people, our first indications of a band or an artist that we love is reading about them or hearing about them first, and then the music side comes longer. Um, reading about artists in Billboard or in Pitchfork or with me growing up, it was um, you know, Rolling Stone magazine, NME, Melody Maker from the UK. I read yeah, cream. I read about artists like Kiss and Duran Duran and Tears for Fears and Eurythmics and Boy George far more quicker than I've ever heard their music. So this was a little bit of a surprise that somebody like Ed Sheeran actually said this, but it's not really a surprise of the times that we're living in that music criticism seems to be dropping substantially since you and I were growing up. Yeah, and I guess for people who who are use music reviews as sort of a buying guide whether they should buy it or not that's a good thing and 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 then it would make sense that the reviews are irrelevant cuz you can just go listen to it but i i think sometimes i like reading a bad review of something that i like i find that kind of enjoyable it's really all about that illumination you know in the years since prince media has fallen from prominence with the rise of the internet, pretty much all but killed off the print review or at least put it in the back pages of whatever physical publication is left. Um, but it also birthed a new kind of music critic and it's the press release driven one and the single video impact that we're seeing today. In working as a publicist, I know so many blogs that will essentially just take my press release and park it in wherever their website is because they're looking not just for the music criticism, they're looking to survive and thrive off of it. And sometimes writing a 700 word review that is going to be read by a few people, it's not, it's a lot of time, energy, and effort to write something when only maybe a couple of hundred people will read it. That's where you ended up with um, longer reviews getting cut down to nothing and places like TikTok and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram having short mentions of somebody's new video or single or album or tour because that's all the time that we have to read for the most part. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember in I think it was the early 80s when Rolling Stone magazine and when in the old days, I'm sure you were exactly the same. You would go to Rolling Stone and you'd go right to the back because yeah. that's where the record reviews were. And you would read about the new records and you would read the reviews and there'd be like a big one at the front, like a new Bruce Springsteen album and then smaller ones. And I remember in the early 80s, they suddenly started putting stars next to the review, like five stars. Five. Yeah, Four stars or whatever. And I was kind of, at the time I was kind of outraged because it seemed a little, it's just seemed tacky to me to it cheapened it. Yeah. To sum it up. Where do you stand on that kind of? Uh, yeah. Criticism? It's interesting because the music industry loved that because all they had to do now was put five stars Rolling Stone in not just music, but film and books and TV shows without having to slog through 1300 words of stuff, even though I loved slogging through all of that, <laughs> all of that stuff. But it's also categorizing that creative experience of reading into just a letter grade or an amount of stars. And that eliminates what 
that album really truly means in popular culture. And I think in the last decade, since the rise of social media, artists are taking a stand and they're taking the power back a little bit from how their music gets consumed and who listens to it instead of hiring publicity people or marketing people to go and beg and plead for a record review and putting the power in them. What they've realized is that as an artist, you can just announce if you're Beyonce, you don't need that traditional media anymore. All you have to do is just post the fact that you've got a new album coming out tomorrow and reach far more people than Rolling Stone ever could dream of. And that kind of psychological benefit um, seeps through everybody because now maybe you don't need to wait for that Rolling Stone review. All you have to know is you can make up your own mind and if people don't want that cultural significance, where that album fits in place of, of history, what's happening with the artist to build that album? What's happening culturally and socially? And what's happening with the economy that makes music like punk music so relevant? And what's happening with race and Black Lives Matter to make this music so popular? Now, maybe the audience doesn't even care about that. And they just care. Is this a five star album or is this a two and a half star is it good? Yeah. Is it good? And who's writing it matters too. Sometimes these artists like Ed Sheeran, and you would think Ed Sheeran is completely unbreakable, right? He's yeah. got a billion dollars in the bank. Who's going to hurt Ed Sheeran? Well, it turned out that Ed Sheeran has feelings as much as you or I do and cares about this kind of stuff. So he's kind of thinking, who are you to write a record review of my album when you're not even a musician? You don't understand what goes into the history of making an album. And there's a thought process that maybe only musicians should be writing about music in so much that filmmakers should only be writing about film because they are more experienced than that. I don't buy that argument, but it's an interesting one. Yeah, it's funny. I remember reading a, an interview with Bruce Allen, who is a very famous music agent in Canada based in Vancouver. He uh, he's manages uh, Michael Buble. Yeah, uh, Brian Adams. Brian and, Adams, Loverboy. Yeah, Jan Arden, yeah. And I remember he was complaining about Brian Adams because uh, Brian Adams was not getting the great reviews, even though he was selling a lot of albums. And the way he described it, this was back in the 80s. He said, yeah, you get a guy like Peter Gabriel who sells a really loud million records. And then Brian Adams sells a very quiet five million records, which is kind of a funny way to look at yeah, it. Yeah, I got breast kits from artists that are in the volume of pounds that have sold nothing. And then I have other artists that have sold 30, 40, 50 million albums and Nary gets a mention in some of the big media outlets because they're not interesting enough. You know, yeah. it's really hard to write 800, 900, a thousand words based on music. It's hard to write about music. So you have to write about the personalities. You have to write about the experience. You have to write about what went into making of the album. Um, just like you and I are talking about um, music. It's hard to talk to musician about you know, what sounds are being made on the album because most people don't know or don't care. So you get into the whole minute details of who they are as people, which have really nothing to do with what you're listening to. But as a fan of music, I love knowing about 
what the Beatles were going through in 1965, 66, and 67 to create Sgt. Pepper because it just didn't happen overnight. There were a lot of things. So as a cultural geek, I love reading about that kind of stuff. And maybe we need more of that, but we get the media outlet that we deserve. Yeah. And do you, do you feel, what, what do you feel is the state of music writing these days? Are there some writers you really are, are uh, addicted to, or do you feel like there's just not very much good music writing going on these days? No, I, I, I kind of consumed as much as I possibly can. And that's like hours every day, just reading to find out what other music writers are writing about. So I can hopefully insert some of the artists that I'm working with in there as a publicist. Um, And generally I just love reading about music period, whether it's music news, or criticism or analysis but what i don't like and 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 i know it, i'm showing my age is just these um these two line twitter reviews of something or somebody going on tiktok telling other people or their followers what the new album is like because i just want something more than that but on the other hand you know those people have followers for a reason and they offer credibility. So if you're going to follow somebody who does 30 second record reviews have at it, it's probably better than nothing. Yeah. We're talking to Eric Alper uh, from ericalper.com or that ericalper.com and that Eric Alper on Twitter. And uh, speaking of, of music criticism and reviews and things, it's funny. Now, if you go into a record store to buy vinyl, uh, it's funny how the bands that didn't sell very much, I'm thinking of like Velvet Underground, Television, yeah. uh, Big Star. These are the records that are selling way more than the bands that were selling a million, like Huey Lewis. The, yeah. Huey Lewis is not selling records now, even though back then he sold millions of records and nobody cared about the Velvet Underground or or television or big star or the cramps but all these bands that were getting all the great reviews are now selling to the kids in the record stores it's it's i don't think i have really have a question but it's interesting to me it, it's fascinating you know the music industry in 2022 despite being the first industry to get shut down during covid and the last one to really open when it comes to touring um the music industry made 13 and a half billion dollars last year a rise of almost 20 percent year on year they had a record-breaking year and part of that was the vinyl records that were being sold. In fact, last year, vinyl record sales by unit and dollar amount beat CD sales for the first time in 35 years. Part of that is that you have artists like Taylor Swift and Harry Styles and the Beatles and Fleetwood Mac that are being sold to a whole new generation in so many different configurations. If you're a fan of BTS, good luck because you've got 19 different versions of their <laughs> newest album out on vinyl. But you're right. A lot of these um, new music band that are say between the ages of 15 and 25, they're not going into the record stores looking for that really classic 80s album. They're looking for the alternative, cool, hip things that you and I both loved before. Because if they wanted Huey Lewis, and no sight to Huey Lewis, but if they wanted that, they're Spotify for that. There's a whole bunch of other places where they can watch that. But I think what they're looking for is just that cool hipster kind of philosophy for them to share it on social media. Um, and that's no different than you or I were 35, 40 years ago. 
Yeah. And record store day is coming up on the 22nd of April. And yeah. uh, there's, there's some interesting titles for me. I've, there's a, a remix of an old Ramones album that I've been trying to find forever. That was out of print. Uh, do, do you follow record store day? Yeah, I do. Cause I'm always interested to see the absolute um, low numbers of of most of these releases. You have U2 and the Rolling Stones and Pearl Jam, huge bands that would sell millions of copies around the world, pointing out a vinyl 45 single that only 5,000 copies are made. Um, I only lined up a couple of times just to see what the whole experience was like. Um, and, you know, fans of those bands, you know, you can find them on secondary sites afterwards or, or in the local record store. But I'm just thankful that anybody listens to music. I don't care. I've always said i don't care how you consume your music i just want people just to continue to listen to music and with so many different choices um there's really no excuse yeah and i love how it democratizes the formats because all of a sudden people will be buying a wilco album and a dolly parton album in the same <laughs> right. thing and and there's a record that i've been watching that's coming out on record store day and it's the early monument singles by dolly parton and oh yeah those are great songs those old old dolly parton singles from the late 60s and yeah uh, right and just when you think that some place like spotify with 85 million songs available just when you think that they have everything, it turns out that they don't necessarily. And so this is why I think Record Store Day um, is made for geeks like you and I and and people out there that um, that still love wanting to hold something to to have that that chase um, yeah. to save our money, to go down, line up with other like minded music fans, go in, buy something, take it home and maybe play it. Maybe not just maybe display it and say, I got it. Um, Cause that's a big part of this of, I think part of the reason why vinyl record records are through the roof is it's just a form of art for a lot of people who have never really wanted to hold anything before when it came to music or television or film, they certainly don't need to buy DVDs or VHSs. They have Netflix and other streaming services, but music is something different. It's the whole experience of, of, getting ready to listen to something I think that is indescribable and unreplaceable. Yeah. And it's leading to a bunch of sort of other offshoots. The thing that I'm really noticing is the audiophile craze. And there's a lot of YouTubers and I'm, I'm starting to watch them on YouTube and the, and the idea of these records that, and sometimes they're like 150 bucks. They're, they're yeah. putting out all the Steely Dan albums now yeah. and they're one steps and they're in, in a kind of look like a box set, but it's usually just one or two LPs. Sometimes they're 45 RPM, but they're, yeah. you know, super vinyl and yeah, they're 180 gram vinyl. Yeah. And, and literally yeah. $150 us to buy these records. I, I can't believe people. Yeah. This is what happens when you have a really popular thing going on, whether it's cars, whether it's movies or film, you have big budget Hollywood films for a number of years. And all of a sudden you see the indie community kind of bubbling through a little bit. Certainly we saw that with the Oscars with a whole bunch of films um, that probably, you know, made less money than a Marvel film in one day end up kind of winning all the Oscars. And you have that when um, with music, when everything is so accessible in in decent sounds, most people are listening to music right now through their computer speakers or or in their car. But then 
on the opposite end of it, there's a whole generation of people who want something more and they're willing to pay for it. Yeah. Well, Eric Alper, always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, people can find you online. Your website is thatericalper.com. And in line at Record Store Day. <laughs> and in line at Record Store Day and also Twitter at uh, that, Eric Alper. that Eric Alper is always a good read. Well, thanks so much, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk soon. This is The Shift Podcast. Uh, well, right now, it's time to talk about cell phone bills, because they say that the only things that are inevitable in life, you know, they say that are death and taxes. I think you can throw high cell phone bills into that mix. According to reports that rank the price of cell phone plans around the world, Canada, you probably heard this, consistently ranks among the most expensive. In fact, according to a 2022 study, Canada's cost per gigabyte is seven times more expensive than Australia, 25 times higher than Ireland and France, and, according to this study, a 1,000 times more than Finland. No wonder they're so happy in Finland. They get good deals on cell phones. Uh, for example, scrolling Instagram for five minutes would cost about a half a cent in France, would cost 20 cents in Canada. Downloading a half-hour video from YouTube would cost eight cents in Ireland, and a buck three in Canada. Downloading an entire season of Wednesday from Netflix would cost about $1.62 in Australia and $10.22 in Canada. And a lot of people say the answer to the high prices in Canada is more competition. We need more telephone companies. Well, bad news there. Because now that Rogers Communication has finally completed their takeover of Shaw Communications, two very large telecommunications company companies have just turned into one even bigger telecommunications company. It was a $26 billion deal that will uh, probably have some big effect on our phone bills. It means Rogers will have an even bigger foothold on the West. Uh, taking advantage of Shaw's network of cable and internet. And I should mention that the company I'm working for right now, Chorus Entertainment, is owned by the Shaw family, who were the previous owners of Shaw Communications. And with the new merger, it leaves the lion's share of the telecommunications market to three players, Rogers, TELUS, and Bell. So the big question is, is this good or bad when it comes to our cell phone bills in Canada? Jerry Wall is the CEO of Wall Communications and a veteran of the Canadian telecommunications industry. And he's here now. Thanks for taking the time. Happy to put in my two cents, Martin. Right on. Well, my first question is one you've, I'm guessing, been asked a few thousand times. Why the heck are cell phone prices so expensive in this country? They, they are expensive relative to many other countries. Certainly not, we're not the highest prices in the world, but we are one of the highest priced countries in the world. Certainly if you look at some of the European countries, we're dramatically higher in terms of our pricing. But again, if you look at the size of the country and the telephone companies will tell you that uh, because of our very vast geographic area, the low density of the population, the costs of building out that infrastructure are very expensive. And that has to be reflected in the price. And I think that's a legitimate uh, comment to make. But I think uh, you also have to take a look at the industry structure. We do have in this country a dominant three companies, the big three, Bell, TELUS, and Rogers, 
that control a market share, you know, depending on how you want to measure it by subscribers or revenue between 85 and 90% of the market. That's, that's a huge concentration in a market. And if you look at the, the mobile wireless industry in particular, those three companies, Bell, Telus, and Rogers, have been doing business in the mobile uh, sphere for almost 40 years. So they know each other very, very well. They've gone through all sorts of competitive skirmishes, uh, uh, personalities like Ted Rogers and Jean Monty with Bell when it got very personal. They have a history and an understanding of, of how I think each other will react depending on what sort of competitive action is taken. And I think that's part of the story. Right. And uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne, the minister overseeing all this, this deal between Shaw and Rogers, he said, I think the quote was, uh, this deal gives Canadians a seat at the table. And I guess meaning that consumers will have a little more control over the telecommunications uh, business that they have to deal with. Do you buy that? Well, <laughs> I'm not sure what he means. You've uh, given us an interpretation. Uh, it's certainly, I think it's a good deal for Canadian consumers in that it gives the best likelihood of getting more competition in the market than any other solution you could have thought of in the wireless area. So I think in that sense, yes, I, I agree with that. It, it was, it's a good move for Canadian consumers. Yeah. So I, I guess what you were saying about the vastness of this country, it's, it's all about infrastructure and the costs of that, which I think a lot of people don't really think about. So I guess the fact that you're, you're basically connecting the East to the West in a lot of ways with this deal. Uh, mm -hmm. So that might be a, a good thing. And, and don't forget the North too, especially getting to more remote, remote and rural areas. I think the cost really does escalate. But what you have is, I mean, if you look at the history of competition in the wireless market in Canada, again, we started way back in 1985 with the first licenses that were issued really to, to that group of consortium called Stentor, which included both TELUS and Bell as part of a consortia. And eventually TELUS broke away and formed its own company in, in BC and Alberta. And Rogers was given a license across the country. So Bell had licenses in its operating territories where it had its wireline network. So essentially Quebec and Ontario and in Eastern Canada. Uh, TELUS had licenses for BC and uh, Alberta. And then you had Manitoba Tel in Manitoba. You had Saskatchewan Telephone in Saskatchewan. So it was a bit of a, a split up. Now, since then, Bell has bought Manitoba Tel. Saskatchewan remains the lone, if you will, kind of provincially owned telephone company in Canada. Um, although there are some, some local ones like uh, Thunder Bay Tell that do uh, municipal systems. But that whole action started back in 85. And then in an attempt to bring more competition in the market, we licensed what were called PCS operators. Microcell, you might remember, they had a FIDO brand. That was in the mid 1990s. And ClearNet, which was another operator now, those two companies found it very difficult to compete for a couple of reasons. One, the investments required are really, really high. So that's tough to come up with the investment funds for that. But secondly, I think they were found themselves against the pricing uh, 
competition of the big three. I mean, they were they're they're tough competitors when you get into market. So ultimately, Microcell was sold to uh, to Rogers. Clearnet was bought by Telus. Well, the federal government has been trying since then to get another fourth national competitor in the market. And if you recall, they did again license three new competitors: uh, Mobilicity, Public Mobile, and uh, Global Live or Wind. And again, the same thing happened. Each of those companies uh, felt that uh, fell uh, to the you know the the competition that was created out there, and the and the extreme expense of putting the capital into the market and building out these wireless networks. Part of it's just the the you know the wires and the towers and everything else, Martin. But you've also got to buy spectrums, and you're bidding at that in auctions that the federal government puts on it. And you can spend hundreds of millions of dollars on spectrum, and the companies have. So it's not for the faint of heart. And what's happened, those three companies have all gone by the wayside. So we've tried this many times in the past to get stronger competition in our wireless markets, and we've not been able to do it. What Shaw told us when they decided to sell to Rogers was they couldn't do it. They were competing with TELUS in BC and Alberta for both the wireline side, that's for internet provision, for cable services, for uh, voice telephony, as well as the wireless stuff. So those are three, those are two areas that, that require just enormous investments every year. And I think uh, that their testimony before the competition tribunal was, they just couldn't do it. They looked ahead to the future and said, are we gonna be able to sustain this? We're not. So what are our options here? And of course, at the time, Bell had come in and, and tried to buy uh, Shaw. Uh, put in an offer, and it eventually, you know, the Rogers Shaw deal got done. But the feeling was, you know, they just weren't going to be willing to go ahead and compete at the same level in the wireless or the wireline business anymore. And Rogers was the best solution. Um, and that was only part of it, of course, because that didn't satisfy the Competition Bureau. Because with, if Rogers was to take over Freedom, that would really reduce the regional competition in Canada, right? Shaw was a, a fairly significant competitor in the wireless market in BC and Alberta. And to have Rogers come in and take over would reduce the number of players in that market by one. And that was unsatisfactory to the Competition Bureau. So they said, you got to do better than that. Eventually, Rogers decided after a misstep trying to propose to the uh, Competition Bureau that an investment fund by Freedom Mobile, the... Uh, uh, the Rogers folks eventually put Quebec Ore forward as a purchaser. And I think that was a really smart thing to do on Rogers' part and a good thing for consumers because Quebec Ore has been super successful in Quebec at getting lower prices and gaining market share, which Shaw was was not particularly good at out west. Mm -hmm. So so we could potentially have four big, big uh, telecommunications companies. We could. Uh, it, it'll, it, it remains to be seen. I, I want to remind you again of uh, that history that we've had with trying to introduce a fourth national player in the country. It's not easy. I think, again, I go back to my statement. I think the best likelihood for better competition and better prices for Canadians comes from this deal that allows Quebec or to come in and buy Freedom Moda Mobile. But there's no guarantee that they'll survive. Uh, right. Bell, Rogers, and Telus, they're very tough competitors. And I think while Quebec Corps has been really uh, dramatically successful in, in Quebec, 
it remains to be seen if they can do it in the in in BC and Alberta and Ontario, because of course freedom operates in Ontario as well. But I think of all the candidates, potential candidates out there, I can't think of a better candidate than Quebecor. Right. We're talking to Jerry Wall, the CEO of Wall Communications, uh, about uh, the Canadian telecommunications situation, where we now basically have three huge companies that control the lion's share of what's going on. And collusion is a strong word, but uh, do you think that these companies, because they are quite comfortable with each other, they know each other, do you think that there is some collusion going on? Well, a collusion in a, um, a legal sense of the word, which is uh, not allowed by yeah. our competition law, I, I think that the companies are very careful that they don't cross a line. And where is that line? I mean, from I'm not a lawyer, but from my layman's understanding, if you gather with your competitors and you talk about prices, that's crossing the line. So do they do that? No, I don't think they do that. I, I'd be very surprised if they did that. That would be... Uh, it's not necessary. Why? Because you can look on any website, you go on the internet, you can see exactly what your competitors are charging, what they're charging that day, that price. You can read their statements before financial analysts every quarter about what their plans are to do. They can signal each other. Now, if you're Bell, Rogers, and Telus, and your world is pretty sweet, I think they're making uh, EBITDA margins of more than 40%. So very, very profitable in the mobile area. Very, very profitable. And everyone's doing well. I mean, what would compel you to get down and dirty and, and do cutthroat competition? Not right. a lot, right? Yeah. So they've got a nice system. They do compete, but it's my observation is it's primarily on service quality and add-ons and, and various types of promotional things. That's where they compete in terms of the actual price, hard-nosed pricing. I don't see a lot of that. Right. So let's uh, let's get to the nitty gritty. People listening, wondering about their cell phone bills. Are they going to get cheaper? Do you think this could be a honeymoon period? Do you think that we might see some lower prices in the next year or two? I listened carefully to the competition tribunal hearings, Martin. They lasted about three weeks. And Quebec or representatives got up and talked about their experience why they were so successful in Quebec and what they plan to do in Alberta and BC and in Ontario with freedom. And I found their testimony very compelling. I think these people understand the markets really well. They're inventive and they're, they're very good competitors. They're uh, they listen carefully to consumers. And I think that they will provide uh, a very welcome fourth player into the markets where they operate. My longer term concern is, can they sustain it, though? Because as I mentioned earlier, if you look at how the big three have treated their other competitors, they threw out flanker brands. Do you know what the flanker brands are with uh, like Fido and Rogers? Is that? What yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So lower price and targeted certain markets and, and really, I think, targeted at their competitors. They're called fighting brands or whatever, as much as anything. So you can expect the same kind of action from the big three. Will Quebec uh, or be able to sustain that kind of uh, competitive uh, response by the big three? We'll, we'll have to see. I don't know, but I certainly think that they're going to go in there and they're going to compete aggressively in a way that will be very welcome. Mm -hmm. 
Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Uh, Jerry Wall, CEO of Wall Communications. Uh, thanks for talking to us. My pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. This is usually the part where Shane comes on and says, that's right, it's time to play game show. And then he throws me, you know what, let me give you, let me just give this a try. Well, that's right, folks, it's time to play game show. <laughs> now to take it away is the hostess with the mostess, Ryan O'Donnell. <laughs> Thanks, Bob, you're too kind. Oh, welcome, friends. It's time to play game show trivia on the radio that you can only hear on the shift with Shane Hewitt. Now, this is an exciting round because it's now like officially more than 10 degrees across like most of Canada, at least within the next couple of weeks, which means half of the country are going to ditch the pants for some shorts and go outside and start camping because we can enjoy the sun while we can. So, yeah. yes, we're going to play some camping trivia. Are All right. Hey, are you on mute, Ryan? Uh, no, is it coming through on the uh, just oh, a little bit? And there's a bit uh, of a delay, and it's kind of weird. Yeah. Okay, good. There we go. We fixed it. Okay, uh, let's do this. Yeah, so we're gonna play some camping trivia. And Martin, this is your first time. Yes, this is very exciting. And I'm, I'm very confused. Against, well, don't be because you're gonna be playing against the executive producer of the shift with Shane Hewitt, Kelsey Campbell, who has kicked Shane's butt several times at this, but is also. Not one every single time. So you've got a good, well-balanced opponent to go up against here. Okay. Kelsey, are you how are you feeling? Are you feeling confident in this bout here, or you know, I a think little we'll, nervous? We'll focus on the fact that I like most typically win, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I'm not going to go easy on you, Martin, because I respect you. I respect you as a competitor and as a fellow human. I I do need to know before we launch into this, and you should know this about me. Mm -hmm. I am an avid camper. Avid. Right. Uh, are you someone that finds yourself plot beside a campfire with a drink in hand, typically through the summer? I just want to kind of tie you up a little bit. I am, you up. I used to be when my kids were little, we'd go camping all the time. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not one of those people who has like a, you know, polar tech sleeping bag or anything. I would die if there were any adverse conditions. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. But so I like camping. <laughs> I okay, probably should have heard of camping. Okay. <laughs> probably should have picked a different category for Martin on his first time. That's okay. It's, I'm, you know, I, I'm a little frightened of camping, but I mean, who knows that much about camping? I guess, I guess some people do. I don't know. Some people really do, but yeah. we've got some pretty good questions here and you might learn something. So here's how this all works, Martin. Uh, okay. And for you listeners at home who are unfamiliar with this, our contestants are going to pick a question and a difficulty of said question. So today we're playing for marshmallows because you need marshmallows for s'mores at the campfire. So Martin, one marshmallow is an easy question. Three is a hard question. Okay. Now, if you get it right, you will hear this. Yay. Good sound. Yay. Happy. If it's wrong, it's pretty obvious. Okay. Now you've got the difficulty of said question and you have three categories to choose from. The camping costs, camp core, and camp culture. Okay? Okay. We also have a very special question that you are not allowed to answer, Martin, or Kelsey. Nobody can answer except for the listeners, and that is, 
the text line special. It is hidden in the show, and one lucky contestant will stumble across it at random and could win two marshmallows. So when we hear, when we find the text line question, it will sound like this. So when we stumble, when you hear that, that means we found it. And the question is this. So for the listeners at home, 877-399-9898, 877-399-9898. Get your phones ready and prepared to answer this question. Which type of tree bark is best for lighting a campfire? Is it <laughs> birch, oak, ash, or hazel? Again, which type of tree bark is best for a campfire? Birch, oak, ash, or hazel? And there you go. That's it, Martin. Those are the rules for Game Showy, and that means it's time to play Game Showy. <laughs> you should get that checked out, by the way. Yeah, yeah I know. Sorry. <clears throat> there we go. That's back. Now, uh, we said that this was going to be like a proper round of Game Showy, and... Uh, that means I'm not going to let Martin take this easy. So, Kelsey, I'm going to actually let you go first. So you can pick a uh, difficulty and a category of question, uh, please and thank you. I always come out swinging, Martin. You do. Uh, you, I, I, uh, I, I try to get the, the early lead. That's my approach. Yeah. Um, I do just want to say on the text line special, my father has a firewood company. It is literally <laughs> his, his business. And I can't say I've heard a lot about hazel and ash in Canadian firewood circles. So uh, maybe I just gave too much away. Yeah. I can't say I've heard a lot about that wood. Uh, okay. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to jump into camping cost. Uh, I, I, and when you say not too many people know too much about camping, you have to know a lot about booking systems at this time of year because right. it is crazy competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, since COVID, everyone took up camping, it feels like. And four months out, it is the most competitive thing you will try to get tickets for. Um, you know, even even bigger ticket than uh, Taylor Swift is trying to get into a provincial or national park. Um, and inflation is definitely, you're feeling it. You're feeling it. So we're going to go camping costs, and I'm going for three marshmallows, Bob. For three. There you go. Okay. So here is your question, Kelsey. Where? is the most expensive campground in the world. Is it Switzerland, Vancouver Island, California, or Japan? I'm, I'm just going to assume, I'm going to assume that it's here in Canada. Uh, I think the most expensive camping I've ever paid for is in Nova Scotia and it was $150 a night for like a parking lot, an open yeah, parking standard. lot. Uh, so I'm going to go with Vancouver Island, Bob. Vancouver. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Vancouver Island is the correct answer. Yes. Wow. I would never have said that. I, I assumed it would be expensive, but I would have said Japan. Oh, get ready. Cause when you hear the price, whew. so this is at the Cleoquat wilderness lodge on Vancouver Island. You get, a massage, yoga, meditation rooms, hot tubs, <laughs> saunas. It's glamping, right? But it is, you need to take a tra- uh, a plane and a boat to get there. Starting at $2,900 a night. That is nearly $3,000 a night just to camp. Wow. Uh, yeah, so if you've ever been there, let me know because I'm certainly never going. Yeah, because that area, Clackwad, is very close to... Uh... To, Tofino, Tofino, yeah. which is beautiful, beautiful part of the which country. is a 
pretty expensive Hold place. on. Plane and boat, how are you pulling your 18-foot trailer? I'm trying to understand this. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You're glamping. You don't have to worry about a trailer. That's, you know, th this is some big money stuff. And yeah, you don't have to worry about, about tree bark. They tell you exactly what no. you need. It's already pre-planned. <laughs> Actually, you might need to pay for that still. Uh, so there you go. Okay. Kelsey is ahead with three marshmallows. And Martin, it is now your turn. So I, I will choose camping culture. Okay. Be and, and I guess I'm going to have to go big. I'm going to okay. have to bet big. So I'm going to go to uh, three marshmallows. Okay. So uh, Jono, on the board in uh, the big black broadcasting tower in Vancouver, this is the question that's got a little bit of audio to it. Martin, I promise you, this is the question. When you look up the best campfire song on Google, what is the first song that comes up? Right. Is it Take Me Home Country Road, American Pie, Sweet Caroline, yes, or the Campfire Song song by SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> so when you Google, when you Google uh, the best camping songs, mm -hmm. well, you know, the, you know, camping is in the title. It is in the title, but it's you know, Sweet Caroline, Sweet Caroline, Country Roads. Everybody At knows. Two the in the morning, the oh. rum and cokes are flowing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sweet Caroline is happening. I don't, yeah. yeah, no, I see that. Those are the annoying people who are camping beside you, and oh, same, hey, with, same with America. Just over here, <laughs> come on over to this party. Our sun's better than yours. Exactly, <laughs> and you'd all be singing along. Bum, bum, bum. No, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the campfire song song SpongeBob SquarePants song by, by SpongeBob. Well, I have the 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 answer for this you. This is here. not a real and song. Like, this it, can't well, be a thing. Well, uh, actually, John, if you could just play the correct answer for me, please. I call this one the campfire song song. Oh my god! Let's gather around the campfire, <laughs> so that's the campfire song. Yep. That. that is the correct answer. Yes. When I looked this up, I was like, I'm going to have to have a question about campfire music. And I literally typed into Google campfire song, the best campfire song. I didn't say campfire song SpongeBob. I typed no. in what is the best campfire song. That was the first result I got. Well, it's in and I've got time. a little, I got a little fact for you. So okay. in the song camp SpongeBob starts to sing it incredibly fast. And uh, it turns out that there was no editing whatsoever. When you hear him sing it fast, he is actually doing the SpongeBob voice faster than any human being can talk. Here's a little example. Good. There you go. Yeah. So bring that, is, that with you to your next camping excursion anywhere in great. Canada. That is the great Tom Kenny. Who it is, is so one yes. of the, the great animation voices working right oh now? Oh my goodness, I'm working with a bunch of nerds. Who knows <laughs> yes, that? You are. Okay, well, hey, if you want to nerd out, out about camping, it's now your turn. And just to remember our our camp our campfire questions, there's too many C sounds. Uh, categories are camping costs, camping core, and camping culture. Wow, I just realized how many C's there are. Okay, anyway, a lot Kelsey, of it's your turn. I love alliteration. alliteration. Yeah. Uh, I do really just want to tell you, there's one campground song that I, I think is so funny. There was a guy uh, at a camping trip I was on. Um, he was not camping with our group. He was mm -hmm. going from campfire to campfire, and he showed up at ours, and we all cheered, and he had he was shirtless with an acoustic oh. guitar, <laughs> nice. and he just sits down without being invited because who needs an invite when you got an acoustic guitar and you're shirtless? And he starts playing Wonderwall, and we're all thrilled, and of everyone course, sings along. And then 
the, as soon as he stops, the first thing we want to do is start making requests. So we request something like I'm sure sweet Caroline. Uh, yeah. And he's like, now that's all I got. And he just gets up and walks to the next campsite and you just hear him start strumming Wonderwall and everyone goes nuts at that campsite. Oh my gosh, it just killed us all weekend thinking about this shirtless dude and this one go-to song, Wonderwall. You know, you, you probably got off easy to tell you the truth. Yeah, you probably did. Yeah, everybody knows Wonderwall. Okay. Okay. Uh, Kelsey, uh, well, I'm, you're I'm, up. I'm, do I want to be kind to you? No, I got to I gotta keep going. Got to keep I'm hungry for some marshmallows. Okay. I'm going to go for three marshmallows mm-hmm. and their camping core, Bob. Camping core. These are the core tenants of camping. And as you said, Kelsey, booking, trying to find a time and a campsite because there's a competition. So... What is statistically the busiest weekend for camping in Canada? Labor Day weekend, Canada Day weekend, Victoria Day or the May long weekend, or actually Easter the long weekend, which is the busiest? I know this because with age, I have tired. May long weekend, we've been going to the shoe shop for more than 30 years. And with it being rainy or snowy every single year, we're always like, we should just go when it's nice all the time for the whole trip. So I'm going with the Canada Day long weekend. And your logic is exactly why that is the correct answer. Yes, it is the Canada Day long weekend because it is generally, it's May in Canada. Yeah, there could be some snow. You never know. But in July, probably not. And that's why Canada Day long weekend is statistically the longest but the second longest is actually labor day because it's the last gasp of summer and then you know free time before school all that starts up so there you go now we've got a tough game here six marshmallows for kelsey three for martin and martin it is your turn okay i'm gonna have to stay with what's working for me and that's Mm -hmm. camping culture camping culture. so i I might as well go for two marshmallows you gotta go for two okay so here's your question Every good genre of film has, you know, a little bit of camping, but I think no genre of film does camping better than horror movies. Which of these horror movies takes place in a cabin in the woods? Is it The Evil Dead, Friday the 13th, The Burning, or Midsummer? Hmm. Or... All of the above. Ooh, all of the above. See, I, 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 I don't. I, the Evil Dead. I sort of uh, remember seeing. Uh, I'm going to say the Evil Dead. Evil Dead. You are incorrect. That is not correct. Mm. Well, you're kind of correct. Kelsey now has actually five seconds to steal the points from you, Martin. I haven't seen any of them, mm-hmm. but I know this about. Oh no. I didn't say it fast enough. You didn't say it fast enough. You didn't say it fast of, enough, so nobody all gets above. the points. I'm so sorry, Kelsey. You don't even you need did. to see a horror film to know that there's a cabin in the woods. The idiots always go into the cabin in the woods. There's yes. always a Yeah, that's and, true. And that is the correct answer. Yes. Unfortunately, Kelsey, you didn't say it fast enough, so no points. But yes, talk all these of those things movies. out, guys. Let's another yeah. five seconds, please, Bob. Mm, I'm so sorry. So, Martin, you were partially right. Yes, Evil Dead. And then Friday the 13th, The Burning, Midsummer, all of those have got a cabin in the woods, right. which are a lot of fun. But that is wrong. So no points for either of you. But Kelsey now could kind of seal the deal if she gets this question right. But we'll keep playing till we're literally out of time because it's fun. Camping core, two marshmallows. 
two marshmallows. Well, lucky for you, you just stumbled across the, uh, the little text line special there. Oh, TikTok, TikTok, let's get into it. So this is a question for the listeners and the listeners only. I wasn't quite sure how many texts we would get about the best type of bark to burn at a campfire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got a lot, like um, more than the average text line special question. And this is amazing. So there you go, the Canadian campers. So this is the question. And Kelsey, you probably know this because as you mentioned, your dad runs a like... <laughs> What was it? A, a firewood like, business. A firewood business. You should yes. have checked this um, out before. Yeah. Uh, so Kelsey can't answer this. So the, her, her fate rests in the <laughs> listeners. And the question was, what is the best type of tree bark for lighting a campfire? The options were birch, oak, ash, and hazel. And yeah, Angel, Jasper, Miss Josie, Ernie, Derek, Steve. I mean, like, guys, there's just so many texts and almost every single one of them had the same answer and that was birch and that is the correct answer yes birch yeah. is the best type of wood to burn but it's also you know like it's, it's just wood just make sure it's not like damp and you can light it on fire well it it seems like the best i would have got that question and because yep. it, it you sort of peel off the skin kind of of mm -hmm. the birch and that would be great for you know you know getting it going i would imagine yep. Okay, a question because um, my father's made me a, a firewood nerd. Um, to, <laughs> so a question to you animated nerds. What is the longest burning type of firewood that you can use? Or tree, wood in general? Hmm. What, what burns hottest and the longest? So I'm guessing it would be a very hard, dense wood. So, mm -hmm. so uh, I don't know, cedar? Uh, uh, I don't know many... As you, as the, the fact that you used ash and hazel tells me you don't know a lot about <laughs> firewood in know. Canada. I just put the questions together, man. Yeah, I'm going to go yeah. oak, final answer. I'll tell you, it's it's fruit woods, like the, the kind of the most expensive wood that you can give to run like a big pizza oven or something. You're going to want to use like a cherry wood. Right. Oh, oh, okay. The stuff you'd make a table out of. Yeah, it's expensive and it'll burn for a hot and long time. A sturdy wood. There are some types of woods that uh, I found this out are more expensive than gold per pound. Like some some crazy stuff. There's yeah. uh, ironwood. Yeah, ironwood. Yeah, sounds like a cool nerdy thing, but it's real. Yeah. There you go. Well, mahogany. I, mahogany. Rich mahogany. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we don't. We're, I'm so sorry, Martin. Uh, Kelsey, <laughs> don't even say, don't even say the score out loud. Did it's not just, pull the punches. Don't do it. Uh, she was truthful in that she said she wasn't going to hold back, and she did not hold back. However, the final score is not that bad. Martin, you had three marshmallows, and Kelsey walks away with more than with that. Let's just more leave it at that. than that. Yeah, she, <laughs> she, yeah. She, <laughs> she walks. She walks away with, uh, with with seven. So seven to three is your final with a, score. A big marshmallows. And uh, you've got lots of marshmallows. Uh, and uh, that is game showing. <laughs> what does Shane always say here? Remember to, uh, oh, let me do Remember to get your bear spayed or neutered. Wow. So where does that voice come from? What? Who are you channeling when you, when you, because uh, it's uh, kind of a, kind of a broadcasty thing. 
Do you remember that uh, Will Ferrell SNL sketch where he's like the scientist, where he's like leans back into the chair and he's like, "Well, thanks. I'm talking about science." It's based on that, actually. <laughs> oh, it's uh, yeah. The the in his name. Yeah, the the baseball guy. Who's the baseball Will guy? Ferrell science. It's like, oh, I can't remember Google. his name. Dr. Hey. Kent Waller. That's what oh. it is. I'm being Dr. <laughs> Kent Waller. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, I learned something. That's the beauty of this, is I learned something. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. You're too nice to even bag on. Like, I just, I want to <laughs> see. Like, this was great. This well, you, it was well, just a pleasure to take honestly. part. I'm well, like, I, I have a marshmallow stick, and I'm going to stab you. With it. Like, that, that doesn't sound very nice. Well, if you want to hurt my feelings or you want to hurt someone's feelings, you have to find someone who cares. <laughs> who cares about their camping prowess is what I'm Whoa. saying. Okay. But you know what I mean? I'm throwing the bag of marshmallows down. (laughs) Red Solo cups are coming out. All right. Well, no, I I, I think it's it's good. It's it's the shift. I'm Martin Strong, and that's uh, Kelsey Campbell and Ryan O'Donnell, and uh, Kelsey won, and she's obviously very excited about that, very happy. I'm going to take these uh, away from my, now I'm going to go have a marshmallow roasting competition, which I'll also destroy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations. I'll give you that. That's that's really good. Martin, stop making me feel bad. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I kill people people with kindness. That makes me very uncomfortable. I don't like it. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 